0: Good evening. My name is Liz Gray and I am the vicar here. I'm delighted to be worshiping with you here this evening. Please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Chapter 6, starting at verse 25. When they found him on Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven please have a seat. Over the summer, we have uh, mostly been continuing in our series in Acts with a few little interruptions. And although we are now going to pause again for a few weeks after tonight, we will pick it up again once we get to September. But last week, we read at the end of Acts chapter six, and we heard about the stoning of Stephen when he stood up and proclaimed the truth to the Sanhedrin, the council. And as a result, they rose up, with, dragged him out of the city, and stoned him to death. An angry crowd, responding to their fear with violence. And this was the passage that we read. Now I want you just to take note of the last bit. When they, they ground their teeth at him, when they were so enraged in verse 54... But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So imagine for a moment that you are a young Christian in Jerusalem. The church has been growing daily. It's been very exciting. Week by week, there have been more people coming into your communities. Leaders have been rising up. They got to a point when there were too many people for the leaders to manage, and they appointed the deacons. The deacons were really into social action, and so they were getting things happening. They were dealing with the widows and orphans. There was a real sense of excitement in the early church. Daily, they seemed to be making a difference to the lives of people around them. But also, as a young Christian in that environment, you'd begun to hear the rumblings of the old guard, the Jewish kind of establishment. And then you'd heard the story, perhaps, of Stephen being stoned. Many historians say it was essentially a a pretty legal stoning, but also could have been described as a lynching. So one of your church leaders being lynched by a mob. And then as we just heard, the story goes on in Acts chapter 8. Saul, who witnessed the brutal killing of Stephen, getting all fired up and taking his henchmen, He not only approves the execution, but as we read on, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Pause on that sentence for a moment. Imagine your emotions as a Christian in Jerusalem. Saul grabbing people from around you, your next door neighbors, those your women screaming in the night, children crying, the violence. And at that moment, you have a choice. You have to choose whether you are going to continue to identify with this man, Jesus, and the story and the things that you have come to believe about his death and resurrection, or whether you're just going to quietly melt away into the shadows I'm sure there were people who did both, because probably rejection of this truth that you had come to believe might have felt a whole lot simpler and definitely safer. But listen again to what happens. Now, those who were scattered, who left Jerusalem at this point, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Far from being crushed and cowed by the violence that was happening in Jerusalem, the message about Jesus just spread. People were scattered from Jerusalem, sure, But God used this awful persecution ultimately for good because as people were scattered, they didn't vanish into the woodwork or go into hiding or announce their faith. They were preaching this message that they had heard. And the Holy Spirit was ministering to people, healing, restoring, making whole. And so there was much joy in that city. Samaria was full of joy. So what was it again that they were preaching? Well, we heard some of what they were preaching in that passage from John a few minutes ago. The message that Jesus had left them was that he had said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will rise him up on that last day. What an amazing message of hope Jesus had given them, that he was the bread of life, that he offers forgiveness and eternal life. This is the message that they were preaching. It's the message that we proclaim as we come to the table week by week. But if you carry on reading in that passage in John chapter 6, it's really quite fascinating. Because as they began to hear it, first of all, the Jews grumbled. So this is right when Jesus was preaching it. They grumbled, they grumbled, and they said, because he said, I'm the bread who came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, his father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus responded to them, don't grumble amongst yourselves. And he goes on to say, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. But the Jews carry on. They carry on grumbling. They dispute amongst themselves. And then, what's more, the disciples begin to grumble. And they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And then the disciples, many of his disciples turned back, it says, and no longer walked with him. So Jesus, again, this is still in chapter 6 of John, turns to the 12 and says, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter, Simon Peter, whom we have lots to thank for, answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Even as Jesus was preaching this message, which we have recorded in John chapter 6, he knew that this message of eternal life was going to be one which was going to cause offense. It caused offense even as he was preaching it, even as he was speaking. We have first of all the Jews turning away, And then we have the disciples, many of the disciples turning away, and then we even have the apostles who are concerned, but sticking with him. It was a message that could and would continue to cause offense. And so as we read in Acts 8 a few minutes ago, Saul had just heard a summary of the gospel, and he was deeply offended. And so he begins a rampage Philip had probably been there in John chapter 6 when Jesus was preaching, so he had probably also been one of the ones who had discussed whether or not they were going to take offense. But again, he holds on in contrast to the message of hope and life which Jesus had offered the disciples, and he begins to preach it. Both of them heard the gospel and then chose how to respond. Many people hear the gospel and turn to Jesus And many hear the gospel and take offense and turn away. Some follow his teaching, some reject it. And some do a mixture of both. In a few weeks' time, we are going to be formalizing our membership, if we are regular members here, to this community. And as I read the passages these weeks, I began to think about the way each of us in this room will have responded at different times in our lives to the message of the gospel. Of course there's probably a likelihood if you're sitting here that there's something in you which hopes that you always respond positively but perhaps at times each of us in different ways acts offended sometimes we grumble or we refuse to listen sometimes we've been in churches or we ourselves have reinterpreted the gospel in ways which have suited us culturally i as you might be able to tell from my accent grew up in south africa in racially torn, apartheid-ridden South Africa, where the many, many churches preached apartheid. Fortunately, not all. Sometimes churches can preach offensively. I thought about all the churches that I have been in over the years and people I have met who have been like Philip and people who have been a bit like Saul. Let's start for a minute with Saul have you met any souls in your life? There are souls out there, but sadly, sometimes there are souls inside the church as well. And to be honest, sometimes I am Saul. I want to be like Philip, but I know there are times when I have responded to good news with grumbling, with bad behavior, Think about those souls, people who through their behavior have not lined up with the message of Christ, perhaps even the message they preach, leading to experiences that have left people hurt or emotionally locked up or imprisoned in unforgiveness. Perhaps the ones you know might have been pastors who have failed, leaders who have got things wrong, or friends or family or colleagues or people in your small group or somebody you've just bumped into in some kind of Christian environment. Sadly, we are all too aware of the ways that some churches, well, probably all churches, can be places of hurt, of spiritual or emotional or psychological fallout. And they hit the headlines quite regularly. And so I was thinking, what does that mean for us as we head towards church membership on September the 8th? There's going to be a moment when people in this community will stand up and make promises to each other. We will sign a parish register. We're going to look at each other and say that we want to be together as people of Christ's body, with all that that entails, including that we're going to try really hard to not hurt each other. We're going to try not to cause offense. And then we're going to be people who pray for the Holy Spirit to come to bring healing and wholeness to our own and others' broken lives, because we want to be like Philip and not like Saul, people whose behavior leads to joy. But before we do that, I'm going to give you some homework. If you're a part of this community, this is compulsory, pretty much compulsory. If you're not part of this community, you might like to do it anyway. And if you're not regularly in churches, maybe you could think about your work environment or somewhere where you've had ongoing uh, relationships with different people in your community. In these pew bins, you'll find a whole stack of paper. Can you each get a piece of paper and a pen? Uh, because I'm going to ask you to do something. On Wednesday this week, I took a morning to do an exercise. And um, I took a, a little bit of time to sit down in a peaceful place. I left my phone somewhere else so that I couldn't look at it more than, you know, once every three minutes instead of once every two. No, I put it aside, and I tried to concentrate. I picked up a pen and paper, and I began to write. I made it. Actually, you can see how it began. This is how it began. It turned into a whole pad of paper, just so that you know what's coming. I made a list. I began to make a list of all the churches and dates that I, and their leaders that I could remember that I've experienced in my whole life. So I went back as early as I could remember. Some were churches or places I had visited only once. Some were churches or places I had been in for like a decade. For some reason, I'd been impacted by the experience of being there. And I took time to reflect, and I jotted down everything I could remember about being in that church, the good, the bad, the ugly, the sad, and the delightful. I started out thinking I was only going to think about hard stuff, but I quickly began to remember really good things which had happened in all those churches, wonderful memories of people I had long forgotten about. And I just wrote, and I wrote, and I wrote for about, I don't know, two or three hours, And then I carried on the next day, and I actually did some more yesterday and Friday and yesterday. Because once you start, it becomes kind of interesting. And I'm going to ask you to develop this in a moment. But first of all, one of the things I did and that I would like you to do is if you remember an offense, something, something that went wrong, a leader that hurt you, somebody in the community which just left you feeling in despair, Take some moment to make a little mark or make another column in your paper and say, okay, God, what went wrong? And where was I culpable? Where were they culpable? <laughs> Pause for a moment and think, okay, is there anything I need to do now? Do I need to forgive somebody? Do I need to make a phone call? Do I need to write a letter? And then ask God, is there anything that they need to do? Do I need to ask them? Do I need to ask them to explain One of the things that I found was really revealing was that the longer I wrote, the more I began to understand the perspective of some of the things which had hurt me. I began to go, oh, actually, I was 20 at the time, and now that I'm a little over 50, I can now remember what it feels like to be 50 and looking at 20-year-olds, and I began to think, oh, well, maybe that, you know, you begin to, as you write, you begin to see more details. But do you need to ask for forgiveness? Or do you need to ask them to forgive you? Or do you need to offer forgiveness? Jesus makes it very clear that it's important that this is a mutual thing, but that we absolutely have to forgive. Another thing you could perhaps do is um, read Romans 14. It's another really great passage on just talking about what do you do when things get tricky in the church. I love the line in verse 19, therefore let us pursue the things that make for peace and the things by which one may edify each other. We're going to look to make peace and to look for mutual edification. I then went on and added a couple more columns as time went on. I went on and I went not just kind of where were things hard, but I very much wanted to say, what did I learn about God in that place? What were the signs of maturity that happened there? And again, that can be a really good way of then beginning to say, okay, and how can I pray blessing on that church or that leadership? Be very grateful for the things that were good. How did you grow? Once you've done that, you might want to reach out to some people. I began to write letters, including to people who were dead. I'm not going to post them, don't worry, I haven't lost it completely. But I did write letters to people who were dead, and I wrote people letters to people who are alive. I've got one here, which I need to post. Because I wanted God to give the opportunity for me both to forgive them and then to work through my perspective and then to ask them or then to tell them the things that I was encouraged by. I would like you to think about, could you write to somebody? And tell them about the things that you want to apologize for. Ask for forgiveness. Do it deliberately. Maybe it's appropriate for you to mail the letter. Maybe it's not. But do it. We always have a choice to forgive. We do not always have a choice to be fully reconciled. And so offering forgiveness, asking forgiveness, doesn't necessarily mean that everything's going to be hunky-dory and rosy in your relationship with that church or that leader from now onwards. But you've made your step. You've let go. You've helped yourself to move into a different position, and help them to move into a different position as well. As you step into being a part of this community, I want you to do everything you can to make sure that you've dealt with your relationships in the past, the situations that you have been in. And to focus on the joy, When you, as you apply to be a member here, you will give us a little permission to ask for your membership papers to be transferred from the previous church. Wouldn't it be fun as as we're doing that? Your previous pastor got a letter going, I have just been thinking about all the ways you encouraged and blessed and taught me. I've been so encouraged by these things which I encountered under your ministry. Might be a lovely way of just giving, offering some blessing or looking for closure. As Jesus said to the grumblers in John 6, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And remember what Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Simon Peter got a lot of stuff wrong, but he did learn the hard way that the reason that Jesus chose him to build his church was the fact that he had grasped that Jesus held the words of eternal life. And so even as Saul reacts to Stephen's death with crazed violence, Peter, Philip, and many others, and we'll get to the good news eventually when Saul changes direction, but they spread the news of the church and the Holy Spirit is with them. And as we grow and develop as a community over the weeks and months and years ahead, there'll be moments when we will offend each other. We'll choose then at that point, can we forgive each other? Can we move on without grumbling? Can we pay attention to where the Holy Spirit is at work? Can we look for opportunities for healing and joy? This formation of a new church in a new area is a glorious moment And it's a glorious moment when the Holy Spirit always seems to be particularly active. So let's be deliberate about telling people about the Holy One of God who has the words of eternal life. And then let's be praying for people who are lame and paralyzed, either physically or emotionally or spiritually, to be set free to move again. So many opportunities for us to get out there to be prayer walking and talking to people we come across, not hurrying past, but taking time to linger and chat and offer this message of eternal life. And may we then experience much joy in this city. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the message of life and hope. Thank you that even when we are personally behaving like Saul, thank you that you deal with us. Help us to remember well, to ask for forgiveness well, to accept forgiveness well. Help us to be at peace with each other and with our stories that we carry around with us. Help us to lay down moments of hurt and to rejoice so joyfully in all the places where you have taught us and shaped us and led us thank you, Heavenly Father, for this little baby church of incarnation. Will you continue to guard and guide us? Help us to pay attention to where you are at work and to follow closely that we might see much joy in the city. Amen.